This morning we hear two short but powerful verses from Proverbs 22. First chapter 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The word of the Lord. I'm not a swimmer. Many of you know that. But if you don't, I'm not. I'm awful. But I've done things involving water for some strange reason on more than one occasion. And one of those things is whitewater rafting. And so uh, some people, when you go whitewater rafting, you don't listen to the instructions. You, you just like finish what you're saying so that I can get in the water. But if you're like me, you listen to every single thing they say because it is of incredible importance. There is something about whitewater rafting that is a bit counterintuitive. Uh, if I recall correctly, because it's been a while since I've been and I don't plan to go again, But if I recall correctly, they say when you or if you fall out of the raft, which is horrifying to consider, if you fall out of the raft, then just lie on your back, let the current take you, and until you can get over to the shore or back to the raft, meaning don't fight the current. Uh, because you're not going to win. That's what I recall, and I uh, think every time I've heard that speech, because as a youth pastor, I took several for the team and went on those trips, and I remember uh, every time I hear that speech thinking, tell yourself that, tell yourself that, that won't come natural. This morning I am preaching a sermon that goes against the flow. It goes against the cultural flow. We are awash in a white water rapid of liberalism uh, that has affected how we parent. And for some reason, because of it, and when I talk about liberalism, it could imply political, but it definitely means cultural. And because of it, we have become dismissive of certain places in Scripture. We have uh, allowed the enlightened minds to somehow cast aspersions on the tried and true Word of God. Uh, So that means this sermon will rub some the wrong way. I preface it with that so that you're not surprised when it does. I realize as this sermon is online that it will have a similar effect perhaps on people who listen to it online and that I could be very misunderstood today. I preach with that caveat. It's a simple uh, two verses that are in Proverbs I won't be overly nerdy with you, but to say that because one of them occurs at the beginning of Proverbs uh, uh, 22 and another occurs at the end of the first section of that chapter, that's called something in, in Scripture. It's called an inclusio. I, when I teach the Bible, I, I, I call it an Oreo cookie effect. There's cream in the middle. 
And so those verses, as they come together like that, they mean pay attention not just to one but both. And that's why Mark read both. And so there are two simple truths this morning. Train up your child in the way he or she should go. That's it. Uh, Not a lot to try to remember. Train up your child in the way he or she should go. It's the word train that's going to catch you by surprise. The word train means to narrow. Uh Uh-oh. It means to narrow. Much of today's parenting encourages you to expose your children to everything, to broaden their horizons. You're definitely instructed not to say yes or no, right and wrong, because that's narrow. But the word train itself means to narrow. I did a wedding a few months back. Wendy and I sat at a round table, met a a young woman who is a nanny down down in Charleston for a rather well-to-do family. The wife doesn't work but still needs a nanny. That sounds like a lot of money to me. And so she's a nanny for this mom, and they're not allowed to talk ever negatively. Uh, They're not allowed to say anything negative. Uh, There are no uh, negative consequences discussed. It's only positive parenting, she says in the home. The problem with that is that child will meet world one day and discover that's not the world, right? To train is to narrow. Think about it. If you go to your doctor and and your doctor uh, does an exam, your primary care, and you discover, or, or he thinks you have cancer, he's going to recommend you to go to an oncologist. You go to your oncologist, you sit in her office, and she talks to you, and when she talks to you, she knows cancer. Why? She's narrowed her study down to cancer. At that point, which doctor do you want to be sitting in front of? The one with the broader study? No, that's the one who got you there. It's the narrowed down doctor. The one who has one particular focus that you want to know your stuff, isn't it? A narrowed focus. What does it mean to narrow? Then... To narrow is to get something out and put something in. Look uh, at verse 15. It'll tell us what we need to get out of our children's hearts. Uh, Verse 15 says that folly is bound up in the heart of our children. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The word folly means lacking sense, lacking forethought, lacking caution. Uh, it may be a news flash to you, but your kids aren't born wise. And somebody said, Amen, up here at front. Uh, they're born foolish. I know you're convinced that your kid is smarter than any other kid you've encountered, and uh, that's what we talk about with little babies, isn't it? How smart they are. They're so smart, and I know they are, and your babies, uh, 
they're just smarter than the other babies. I get that, but they're still born foolish. Uh, doesn't that sound countercultural today? It sounds just strange for me to say that out loud in our culture today because we live in a world that has somehow reversed parents and children to where that children are now more important in the pecking order than their parents. For example, um, I don't want to diverge too much. I got a limited amount of time as always, but when I grew up, when I went to college, I'm not exaggerating. I don't know if I knew what a chicken breast tasted like. Why? Because kids got the legs. We got the drumstick. And on Sunday, when mom uh, fried chicken, it was a whole one. I know some of you don't realize chickens come as a whole, but they do. Like, they have all the body parts. And so, uh, mom bought one of them whole, you know, not fillets. She bought them whole. And, And we ate in the living room, and the adults ate around the table when it was too crowded. And the kids ate last, and the parents ate first. Does anybody else remember those days? Yeah, but not today. No, no, we've changed everything, haven't we? Today, no, the kids eat first, and this one gets that because that's what they like, and this one gets that because that's what they like, and this one gets that because that's what they like. You feel like you're at Ryan's at a buffet because everybody doesn't like certain things. And I need to get off my soapbox. Uh, kids are born foolish. They, kids lack uh, caution. You immediately begin to put boundaries around your children, don't you, when they grow. Things that can hurt them are put in cabinets where they can't get to them. Uh, hot stoves become no-fly zones. You have to teach that. Your child is born without caution. Kids lack forethought. All a toddler can think about is that next bottle of milk. That's it. They're happy until they're hungry. And then they cry. And then they become teenagers. And they're happy until they're hungry. And then they whine. It's, it's, it's what happens, isn't it? It's a, a, a frontal lobe, our daughter Hedda says. Frontal lobe development has not yet happened. She'll look at our son Trent after he's done some crazy antic and go frontal lobe. <laughs> frontal lobe. Uh, there's, uh, kids are born without forethought. Uh, we, we tend to, uh, as we're younger, not think past the ends of our noses. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I quit playing video games. Oh, wait, that's not what he wrote. Um, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. All right, so some of you have tuned me out. <laughs> we get foolishness out of our children's hearts. What do we put in? Lopsided parenting only does the first, okay? Some of you sit here 
and you had not so good parents. You don't laugh as I preach because your parents were verbally abusive. They were physically abusive. And there's never, ever a time for that. On more than one occasion, I've picked up the phone, I've called DSS, and I've reported people, and I'll do it again if it's necessary. There is absolutely no place for abuse at all. Is it okay to use the rod? Yes, with discretion. Uh, Scripture teaches it throughout. Ours wasn't a rod. It it was a Mr. No-No with a frowny face, wooden spoon. It it traveled on vacation. Mr. No-No was just a dear friend. Yes, it, it was in, it fit nicely in that little side thing in the, in the Honda Pilot. It, it's still at the house. Trent refuses to use a wooden spoon in the kitchen today. He's getting help for that. Train up a child in the way he should go. This phrase has dual meanings, and let's look at both. The way, uh, uh, the way can be a way of life. This week I spoke with someone who said, that their son was convinced that their children would choose their religion so he would exert absolutely no influence on that. That isn't what Scripture teaches at all. Your task as Christian parents is to choose a way of life for your children. They don't choose their way, you do. And when they're old enough to make some decisions and the spirit is old enough to work in their lives, hopefully everything you've landed down in them comes to, comes to fruition. Amen? Isn't that the moment where you hope uh, all that you've taught them and all that they've heard and everything that they've sat under somehow starts to grow like a beautiful flower in the springtime and you see that grow up in them and that's between them and God at that point. But until they get to that point, that's between you and them and God. It is your task. You say, Jerry, how does that look? Let me test this. Let's just test this in the way they should go, in the way of life. I'm just, just going to start something and you finish it. Jesus loves me. That's a way of life. That's it. Jesus loves the... That's a way of life. Isn't that amazing? Across this room of hundreds of people, I'll just say those few words, and all of a sudden when I do, that's a way of life. For God so loved the, that he, his only, that's a way of life. That's a way of life, you teach that. You, you fill your home with those words, you fill your home with those teachings, you do that so that when they're not in your home, those words are in their hearts, right? So when that they, they, they leave, uh, that as they do, those words are in your heart. Amy Richmond is sitting right here uh, near the back. She teaches at our preschool, amazing teacher. 
One of the things we do in our preschool is, and I know there's a word for this, Jen, and I can't remember it, but the big cards uh, that we use to teach, and they each have a Bible verse on them, and there's a picture. And the verse is simplified to meet little children's minds. Jen shared with me this week in our one-on-one that Amy came in and said, listen, my kids so know this verse that now all I do is show them the picture and they start saying it. And how old are your kids, Amy? Two years old. Two years old. She said, give me another one. Don't you want your two-year-old getting that? Right, that's what it means. Their, Their minds are so capable, so young to take in great truth from God's word and take that truth and drill it down so that one day when they're away from you because they're going to be, they're going to leave. Some of you say, I I thought that. I'm waiting. (laughs) They'll have it. But there's a dual meaning of the way he should go and it means according to his or her bent. It's both. The way is a way of life. There's a There's doctrine, there's truth, there's teaching. Uh, There's a way of life, but there's also a way that your kids have, isn't there? Any of you who have more than one wonder, how did they come from the same set of parents? Don't you? Like, it's amazing how different uh, two kids can be coming from the same mom, dad, home, etc. You know, one is quiet, one's loud. One is assertive, one's passive. One is fun-loving, one's a stick in the mud. You know, they're just different. God just made them different. It's fascinating, isn't it? And so one of the things, one of the requirements, and this is the positive side of parenting, is that you become a student of your child. You know what motivates one will not motivate the other. We have two children, Hannah, who's uh, 27, and uh, in. And, and should, should I just say that we're going to be grandparents of a little boy? Yes. Yes. We just found that out over the weekend, and we're so excited. We're so excited. I went online and bought it an outfit last night. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. Um, but at any rate, at any rate, um, Hannah and Trent are just very different. Hannah has said to me, but I mean, with Hannah, you just look at her and she melts. Always has been the case. Just look at her and and that look and she's done. You know, Trent, oh, that look doesn't work. No, it takes words and corrective action. They're just very, very different people. Very gifted, very differently. Trent's gregarious, just has never met a stranger. Hannah is deep, gets to know people deeply in their lives, deeply. They're just very, very different. Wendy and I decided a few years ago our parenting mantra was that we exist to protect Hannah from others and others from Trent. (laughs) That, That was it. Trent's a bulldozer. He's just going to go, you know? And Hannah, on the, on the other side, we're going to have to say, oh, no, Hannah, don't let people treat you like this. Kids are different, aren't they? The method that works for one child won't necessarily work for another. I want to step aside also, and I want to say something. I was listening to uh, three Alistair Begg podcasts this week uh, to elders. Very, very good. 
He was talking about elders and their children and that requirement that our kids, uh, you know, pay attention to what we say, respect us, etc. And he said this. He said, you can have the same mom, dad, the same two kids, and one walk with God and one walk away from God, and they live under the same roof, and you wonder, what did we get right with that one, and how did we mess that up? It's true, isn't it? At some point in all of your parenting, the kid becomes a woman and a man, and they make decisions. And they may break your heart, but you got to let them do that. And consequences may flow from those, and it may break your heart. But at some point, you, you're no longer in command. You're, you're just hopefully uh, giving some counsel. And hopefully they'll listen. It's the reality. Anybody in this room who's parented kids now into young adulthood will tell you that. Do, do what you do and let God do what he does. I think that's why I love that. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Has any parent in the room ever said, God, work, I can't see it, but I need you to? Yeah. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I read a book that marked me greatly. I began using it as a youth pastor for students in my group. I love those kids, still do. And uh, then as a dad, have used it. It's called The Gift of the Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. And that is biblical positive parenting. I, I want to touch on that. We're going to be done. Um, in the way they should go, <clears throat> this is a way to do it. Uh, based on uh, Genesis and Jacob blessing his, his boys, um, Smalley and Trent built a whole book around this, and this has uh, sold so many and continues to be powerfully effective today. Five elements of the blessing, and if you don't want to write it all down, the life group lesson is how to do this. If you're not in a life group, just grab it. Just grab one of these as you leave. They're in all of our lobbies, but if you're in one, be sure to grab it. You'll apply this this week quite specifically in your group time. Meaningful touch. Before a word is spoken, there should be, uh, the Trent say, the, the uh, Trent Smalley, the laying on of hands. Meaningful touch for your children. It changes as they get older, too. Uh, when when it's when they're little, it's tender. When they, you know, Wendy used to yell uh, into the living room while she was cooking dinner. When uh, Hannah was little, for us to quit because I was wrestling to her to the ground, making her scream. Uh, I found great delight in that, um, but Wendy never did. Same with Trent. But it would be weird if I wrestled Hannah to the ground. Now that's strange, wouldn't it? 
but she'll walk in the house and I'll just go up and embrace her. Meaningful touch changes over time. It doesn't end. Dads, could I say something? As your daughters become teenagers, if you don't touch them appropriately, meaning if you don't give them appropriate physical affection, a hug, a pat on the back, they'll find somebody who will. They'll find a guy to do it. Meaningful touch, number two, a spoken message. Uh, in, in biblical times, children weren't left to, uh, to their own. Their names were chosen with significance. A spoken message, uh, it means you're filling in the blanks for your children. Third is attaching high value. Uh, our kids struggle with their, their value. I'm, they, they struggle with their value. I'm not talking about self-esteem. Self-esteem is what a child thinks about him or herself. Uh, uh, self-worth is what they know themselves to be worth. And if you deal with self-worth first, self-esteem will follow. If you deal with self-esteem first, self-worth may or may not follow. And that self-esteem will be a result of what people around them think they ought to think about themselves. So if everybody around me dresses a certain way, I should dress that way. No, your, your worth comes first. Your esteem comes second. Our culture has missed that. Fourth, picture in a special future. I, I look at this as having a whiteboard that you're, that's your kid's life. And when they get to you, it's, it's quite blank. And you begin to draw on it. You picture a special future. You see them down the road in some way doing something, and you talk about it. You help them see what they cannot see because, remember, they're born foolish with, without the ability to have forethought. So you've got to have it for them until they can think ahead. You think ahead. You picture them. You see them leaving the nest, and you picture that for them. You uh, show them what it's like. Visually, and finally, an active commitment. It means that your kids know you're never going anywhere. You're there, you're with them, regardless. I have observed this through the years, and she doesn't know I'm going to say this, but there's a woman sitting in our church who just did this masterfully and compassionately. Her name is Sue Gibbs. Her son Lex has battled significantly. And Sue's my neighbor. I love, love Lex. Led him to the Lord. Lex, at an early age, in his teens, got cancer. And it came back, still as a young man. A couple times I went over to Sue's to help him up, back in bed. And Wendy and I would watch Sue out walking her dog, and we could see hurt, pain, and commitment. Active commitment. 
not going anywhere. That's my boy. I'll take care of him. That's how you bless your kids. Uh, sometimes that will require some tough love. Sometimes it will require hard words. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Kids have long memories, don't they? Anyone who works with children, and many of you do, uh, who have been through difficult times, know that they have long memories of those difficult times. But could I say to you that kids have long memories of good times too? Kids have long memories of faithful, loving moms and dads. They, they don't forget when and how you bless them. So I'll close with a prayer. This Week in Life group, if you're in one, work through this. If you're not and you'd like to be in one, just find Dave at the next steps. Father, I, I love this church. And one of the reasons I do is that for 21 and a half years, they have at times with emphasis said, love your family first and us second. And I have a wife and children who have a healthy respect for you and the church because of it. What a gift. Father, I, there's so many situations in this room right now and there's no way that one sermon encompasses it all. Could never do. Your Bible speaks to this. I I pray, not for the parents who stood on this stage, Alan Michael has done that wonderfully. I pray for struggling moms and dads who sit in the room this morning. Maybe there's a wondering child. Maybe there's disappointment. Maybe there's loss of a child. That is unthinkable hurt. Father, would you comfort them? Lord, I pray for parents who look back down the road and think, I wished I had. I've never met a decent parent who didn't do that to some degree. May that be just a backward glance in the rearview mirror. And would you give them the reminder that this blessing works for adult kids too? It's never too late to be a mom or dad. Lord, would you work when we can't see it with our kids? In my mind's eye, our moms and dads sitting in this room right now, I've seen them as I've preached. They're begging you 
Would you work when they can't see it? Would you work when they don't feel it? We know you will. And as a family, we pray toward that. In Jesus' name.